Hello, folks, and welcome once again to the best podcast in all of junior hockey, the only podcast that really isn't afraid to talk about well, really anything relating to hockey. One week we do a uh, we talk to some coaches. Another week we're talking to commissioners. Then last week we did our deep dive on the NCDC, really getting in to the nitty gritty of this league, which has just resumed games down in the hub city. And now we're going a little left of center here. And we're going to talk about, well, I don't want to spoil the surprise because first I have to surprise a man with a quick introduction. It's day K Dan. Welcome. Whoa, what's going on? I'm ready to go. You're not going to catch me relaxing this time of year, Lucas. It, like I tell the boys, like I told them, I tell them on our power rankings episodes, like I tell them all year long, it's time to go. It's time to move. It's moving season, baby. It's hunting season. It's cup hunting season. I'm ready to go. And, you know, we have our cup hunting season coming up at the USPHL, but the World Juniors just finished up here, wrapped up, and boy, was it medal hunting season for the United States of A. The USA does it, beating Canada, upsetting the Maple Leaf, and winning the title, raising the trophy, Lucas, I, I, what an exciting time to work in, a, in American junior hockey, right? I mean, it, what an accomplishment. This Canadian team was no joke, skilled throughout, speedy. They were outscoring opponents 41-4 to four coming into the final, and they get shut out by Team USA. That is an absolute stellar performance by Spencer Knight and the rest of the boys. Yeah, I mean, you, you couldn't have asked for anything better out of them. It was exciting hockey. It was great hockey to watch. Got you a little jazzed up here because, you know, not a lot of people really came out and, and you know, they, they had the USA pegged as the underdog. And I guess when you're against Team Canada, that's what's going to happen. So it was great to come out and or watch them come out and, and really take it to them. Yeah, I mean, USA was a two-and-a-half gold dog by Vegas' standards. That's a, that's a big hockey dog right there. And they went out there. And they didn't just win. They controlled the game from start to finish. They took care of business. And Trevor Zegers, man, he might be the greatest player on the planet right now. Ties the record for points in a game with eight less games played, points in the World Juniors. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. He's unreal. He plays the puck well on both ends. He can get into the dirty areas of the ice. He creates opportunities for the guys around him. Absolute team player. Just the... Yorkie there on the, on the, in the captain's seat, handing out the medals at the end. It, it was a team effort, man. You just felt like the guys gelled. And in such a crazy year, such a crazy lead-in to this tournament, this go-around, so different than any year before it. To see a team gel the way this USA team did, that's how you shut out Team Canada in the final. Yeah, I, I think that was, that was a huge part of it. You know, it was – we all kind of knew that – these teams were going to be a little shaky coming into this because you haven't had the opportunity to really sort of get to know each other like you normally would, but you almost got to see it happen live. You know, if you watched all these games, if you watched the opening round Robins, if you watched, you know, some of these quarter semifinal games, you got to watch these teams really come together and figure it out. USA is a great example. Even Germany as well is a great example. That team was hit hard by, you know, players who had COVID coming into the event, they were not able to play, but the team struggled initially and they got better once they got some guys back and they got everyone back together. So I think it was a really cool opportunity to get to watch a lot of these players sort of learn as the tournament's going. Yeah, we're going to get into a Dan K rant in a bit 
about some of the conversations that were had following Germany's original 16-2 loss to Canada during some of the, the lopsided play early in the tournament and the lunacy that I think it is to ever speak of less opportunity, less hockey, less games, especially on a world stage. We'll get to that idiocracy later. I'll talk about that. Lucas will chime in with his, with his own thoughts. But before that, that's called a teaser, folks. And we're going to keep you on edge of your seat as we give you our beer and coffee reviews and pay those bills this week. Lucas, I think you went a little different this week. I did go a little different. You know, I was initially not a proponent of the hard seltzer market. Uh doesn't seem to be worth it necessarily to me, but you know, the times require a conversion, Dan. And, and I have to give a review for my preferred brand of seltzer. And I really prefer White Claws. Truly's the Heartburn City Population U. Uh, not the, the flavors aren't great. I didn't really care for them that much, but I have in front of me my favorite White Claw flavor. It is the White Claw Lemon flavor. Uh, 5% alcohol, 100 calories, gluten-free, 2 grams of carbs, made pure. Pure has an asterisk on it, which sort of makes me a little bit nervous, but I won't dive into that too much. Um, you know, Build is kind of this like low-carb, low-calorie drink. Uh, we'll give it a quick sip here. And the reason I like this so much is because I'm a big seltzer guy. I like a lemon lime seltzer. I like a raspberry seltzer. And to me, this just tastes like a slightly sweeter lemon lime seltzer. Um, so, you know, for, for parents who are looking to maybe, as we get closer to summer, maybe, you know, tighten everything up a little bit. I think this is a really good way to, to, to kind of relax after a game without having to get too much into the calorie market uh, with some of these craft beers available everywhere. So you have that going for you as well. Uh, fairly low cost on this, Dan. I think about $10.99, $11.99 for a six-pack. A little bit better value when you buy the multi-packs. Uh, but is there something for everybody here? I am, number one, going to tell you that you're wrong on your favorite seltzer brand. It's not Truly. It's not White Claw. It's Canteen. And Canteen is a next level brand lucas they're built for campers built for getting outdoors built for being active and if you haven't tried it yet lucas i'm going to tell you right now you're going to change your ways when you try a canteen all right you know me i'm always up for for a bougie substitute <laughs> you know I've, I've never even heard of the brand but now i'm very excited to try it it's available all around me here in jersey i'm sure it's available around the globe and lucas what's your score we didn't get your score on the seltzer you know what i mean it's it, a white claw is not the first thing I go for in the fridge. I definitely won't turn it down. Um, personally, I give this around a seven one. It's definitely doable. It's not, I don't regret it. Um, as for like the everyman score, I think, I think this is perfect. It, everyone loves this stuff. And if you buy the variety pack, you, you got to give this thing like an eight. I mean, people just love it. It's perfect for everyone. No one's going to turn it down. If you don't know what to bring to a party, bring a white claw. I like the choice there. Me this week, I went a little different. I went for instant coffee. And, and instant coffee is something that I drink out of necessity, not out of want, I feel like. I mean, it's I'm a guy who I just can't make it through the day without a cup of coffee. But I have days like today, Lucas. I spent the morning getting a car worked on, working from my laptop in a waiting room, bouncing around the world. And then I have to jump on and do an audio podcast. So what do I do? I pop the boiler on. I get a little instant coffee rolling. And in this case, it's Nescafe's Classico. And 
You know, it says it was grown respectfully, which to me, I'd imagine they use their pleases and thank yous and they spoke nicely to the crop. And it also means that, you know, this is this is a brand that's taking taking notice here with their coffee product and Nescafe. This is my go to instant coffee. And and the way I found instant coffee, folks, is I was out in Dublin, Ireland for three weeks and there's just no coffee anywhere. And when you go out and get coffee at a cafe, it just uh, no offense to the great people of Ireland, but they're not big coffee drinkers and they don't do a great job with it. When you don't drink coffee, you don't know how to prepare it. They love their tea out there. I drank a lot of tea, but I just, when I needed that fix, I started digging through all the brands, every brand of instant coffee on the market because you couldn't really get the real roasted bean anywhere. And my hotel did not have a coffee maker. What's up with that, a Dublin, Ireland? So I finally found Nescafe Classico. It was my go-to. It's, it's the top instant coffee brand in the market. 9.8 out of 10 if you're going for the instant life. On the coffee scale, though, 7.5, which is the highest by far of any instant coffee I've tried, Lucas. It's not a bad, not a bad time. I mean, that sounds great. I like that the, the unintentional theme this week was piv- us pivoting to our, to our, not our go-tos, but, you know, in a pinch, if you're in a jam in a bit of a bind, I like the idea of just having a, a little bit of instant coffee because you can get hot water anywhere. So it, it really works to just kind of throw some in the bag. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's, that's really where, I mean, you talk about hub life coming up, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's where that instant coffee comes in. When you're waking up for an 8 a.m. puck drop and you've got to get to the rink by 6.37 a.m., sometimes you don't have time to wait for that pot to finish brewing. Nescafe Classico, a go-to for Dan K. Instant coffee brand. Lucas, let's get into the show here. Let's talk World Juniors. And before we talk about the greatness of Team USA, I, I need to get this argument off my chest. It's why we decided... To go with this topic, we had one last non-guest episode before we go back to bringing guests in and heading down to the hub and doing all that. This past two-week span, Lucas, there have been some blowouts. Austria versus Team USA, Germany versus Canada. And there was a lot of lopsided action in this year's World Juniors. The conversation started to become from folks around the hockey world we need to do something about this. We need to take some of these teams out of the top level. We need to limit who plays the top opponents. We need to have the power six and maybe hide some of these other folks from the top level to avoid these blowouts, create closer games. It's lunacy to me, folks. To talk about, we hear it all the time, working with the USPHL, working with the Premier League, the Premier Division. And you hear folks badmouth the idea of competition and access to competition, access to organizations, access to hockey at a high level. It is absolutely ridiculous to think that playing lower competition to better suit your needs of playing what you would consider a close game outweighs the benefits of playing the best competition on the planet. You get better by playing people who are better than you. You, the way to become the best is to beat the best, to learn how to beat the best, to learn what it's like to fail. Too much in this world we're in now. We try to bubble wrap ourselves from failure. We forget that it's okay to fail. We can fail. We can lose. We can get crushed in a competition. And we can come back stronger 
from it. Yeah, that frustration is going to ride in there. Yeah, guys are going to be upset sometimes. Yeah, there's going to be some tears in big games like last night's World Junior Championship. But those are the growing moments. And without those, if you go 85-0 and 0 in life, the first time you lose a game, things are going to change. There's a reason why Coach Kirk Costas last year with a 24-0 USPHL Premier Islanders Hockey Club side said he almost wished he would lose going down to Florida because they hadn't dealt with playing from behind. They hadn't dealt with trailing in a game. You saw what that did to Canada in the World Finals. These players need to play against the best competition possible. And the more games they can play at a high level, the more games they can play on a national level, when you bring players down into the lower divisions of the IIHF, those games don't get aired nationally. Those games aren't available everywhere. Eyes aren't on the screens. But guess what? Kids from Germany, kids from Austria, kids from the Czech Republic, they got a chance to play in front of a worldwide audience throughout the U.S. nationally, on TSN, throughout Canada, all throughout their home country. That's the opportunities that the IIHF affords these players with the World Juniors with keeping it at this level. I say more competition. I say introduce more teams. I say that I just, I, Lucas, I can never stand by anybody who thinks it's a bad idea to have more opportunities to play hockey because at no point yet have we had a team that couldn't, that, that just had nobody play. There's always someone looking for that next opportunity, looking for a place to play, and you got to provide those opportunities to those athletes. A hundred percent. I mean, you you have to at a certain point acknowledge that what we're what this is this is not professional hockey. This is not a professional league where you'd be concerned about competition issues. This is a showcase of sorts. This is meant to get players who are some of them are NHL draft picks. And some of them may not be, right? So this is an opportunity to get these guys out there. And if you're not playing against the best of the best, if you're a player and you're not playing against NHL draft picks, how is any NHL scout supposed to evaluate you? How are you supposed to get your brand, your skill level, what you can do out there? Nobody talks about, you know, the, the, the guy who's just kind of skating around. I mean, we, we, so it's a hard thing to say, but it's, it's true is that nobody talks about the guy who's skating around, but they do talk about, Hey, who is that guy that, that just blew past Zegris? Hey, who is that guy who just dangled in front of night and put it past him? Those are the moments you only get when you have this format that we had this year. And I agree, Dan, I, I think if anything, you might even consider it adding some more, adding to it a little bit, because, you know, this is such a good format. It's such a great stage to get these players a ton of exposure on TSN for the American games. It was on NHL network. I don't understand the sort of argument of treating everything like a professional sport, all these, you know, amateur leagues or youth events. It's, it's not professional. It's not reliant on ticket sales. It's not reliant on this, that, the other, you, you're not re- you're not looking at a 16 to two game and thinking what a waste you think you're looking yeah. at a 16 to two game and you're thinking to yourself we got out there we were on TV people saw us and saw what we could do and it's a sport that's trying to grow and is growing and it's conversations like that that you feel like there are folks trying to close doorways and it's it's ridiculous it's every door should be open in this sport every possible team we can put into action should be in action to allow opportunities to play 
It's the same issue I have with, with folks' thoughts on, on the women's game at the professional level, the women's game at the collegiate level, the women's game at the junior hockey level. And, and oh, we can't create more opportunity because there's not the competition level. You know, there, there's, just not, there's just not enough high-level talent to create that. So we need to really make it a smaller group, make it a smaller league, really make sure that the best players play. But, you know, the way you grow is by creating opportunity. The way you grow is by growing, is by expanding, is by becoming bigger, is by becoming better. And you become better when more players, more athletes have access to the best athletes. Coaching, player development, scouting, it all plays into who you are playing with and against on the ice. And if I am cordoning off small groups and saying, this is the group of my top tier, this is the group of my middle tier. This is the group of my low tier. I'll never have a full-on conglomerate. I'll never have a full-on group. I will just have tiers of athletes for the rest of time. My middle athletes will always be my middle athletes. My low athletes will be my low athletes. And that's in any sport, anywhere. You have to play the best. I think about, I, I was uh, by no means on a track to play professional basketball, Lucas. But I still remember one of my greatest moments playing sports was losing by 35 to a team from Atlantic City playing AAU basketball as a 13-year-old and putting up 30 points in a 35-point loss that we probably should have lost by 60. This team was just so much more talented than us, so much better. We had no business competing with them, but we held a lead after the first quarter. And it's, it was a situation where you had to raise your game or you were never going to put a ball in the basket. You had to play at a better level. You had to be better. You had to find a way. And in those moments where we have to really think, we have to really problem solve, we have to really figure out. Not, you can't always just, you can't be more talented, right? You can't be more talented until you're working. But in the moment, you can find ways to succeed. Yeah, and you look at it, it it's, it's similar to like a Tim Tebow with the Denver Broncos, right? No other team wanted to find him a spot at quarterback because he couldn't throw the football. He couldn't throw the football 20 times a game, couldn't find success doing that. But the problem solving to become a competitive football player, win an NFL playoff game against a good team at home in overtime, I mean, that's where you become a better athlete all around. And, and those are the growing moments that if we shelter – these hockey players from you think about Lucas back in the Chicago showcase, we had a team lose 12, nothing, 12, nothing, 12, nothing. Come back the next day against a team that was 11 wins better than the team. They lost 12, nothing to and win one, nothing in a shutout about 40 block shots, 76 saves from a netminder who stood on his head and they got a win. And I guarantee you that win was that those guys will remember that win, Lucas, for the rest of their lives. That goaltender is going to remember that win for the rest of his life. And every one of those people are going to be better people in society for that two-day span. A 12 nothing shellacking that you bounce back from, followed by a re retaliation, a response, a reaction, and a win. And we don't always have to win, folks. We don't always have to win. And not every game that's on TV has to be enthralling for you personally. You know, these guys are learning. These guys are growing. And, yes, I know it's on a national stage with the U20, with the World Juniors. 
but it's not their job just to entertain you. It's their job to develop as athletes. And that's what they are doing. They're developing the next level of our game of hockey. You can't close the doors. You can't slow down that process. You have to allow this sport to continue to grow. It is growing right now. Comparable to other sports in the youth game, hockey is growing. Don't stand in the way. Don't build a wall. Quit your complaining. Quit your belly aching. And let's get moving in the right direction. Let's go towards inclusion. Let's go towards making hockey truly for everyone. You know, Lucas, that's something we've championed here the last few months. Make hockey for everyone. And that's the goal. That's my goal, at least here with the Dan K Show. Absolutely. And, and one more thing I'll, I'll sort of add on to that before we, we move on to talking about some of the play on the ice is yep. I, I recently saw a quote that I love from the great Bobby Jones, who said, I never learned anything from a match I won. And if there's anything I could personally attest to, it's that Dan and I are extremely competitive and I lose a lot. But I have gotten much better at all the things that I lose at over the amount of times that we have, whether it's playing shell in a hotel room or over the last four years as I've learned the sport of golf, I've gone from what about a, hitting 120 shots around to down to consistently what, like 85, 87 now. I mean, you've beaten me out in the golf course now mm -hmm. four years. And, and that's, and like you talk about it, Lucas, like if you get beat by 30, 40 strokes enough on a golf course, you're going to get better or you're going <laughs> to yeah, quit. Exactly. You're going to do one or the other. And you know what? The, the guys and gals who quit the game, maybe it just wasn't the game for them in that case. But the ones who stay, the ones who battle through that, the ones who learn that the worst thing in the world isn't losing, it's quitting, it's giving up. That's the worst thing in the world. And you see that reaction, Lucas. I mean, your reaction with me, obviously, it's golf. It's between you and I. It's a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more in jest. Right. We're not trying to be Tiger Woods one day. But to lose by 30, 40 strokes your first year or two playing the game, to never have a shot to compete, you could have easily been like, oh, this game's not for me. Let me pack the clubs up. Let me go away. Let me take my one iron, my bagger Vance driver, and go home. And it's like, no, you kept battling. And today, you are not just a competent golfer, you're a competitive golfer, four years into playing a game. Yeah, and I, I think that's it's a great lesson. I think it's something that we always try to, to, to put out there. And at the end of the day, the more these kids get seen, the better the sport becomes. That's it. And with that, let's talk about the guys we saw play hockey, Lucas. Let's talk brass tacks here with Team USA what a performance there on NHL Network throughout the U.S. If you're watching along with us in Canada, TSN throughout Canada, an incredible job by Team USA, a 2 nothing win. And, Lucas, I know the biggest thing that you saw there involved a little bit of the backdoor game that the Team USA was having trouble with covering up against Canada. Yeah, I, I think it was something that, that I noticed first against the game the semifinal game against Finland, uh, but then definitely noticed it against Canada is the U S was having a lot of trouble covering the backdoor passing lanes. Um, not just on the power play or not on the, on the penalty kill. Mind you, uh, there's a five on five situations. They, they looked, you know, the, the, the penalty kill, Dan, I know you've mentioned that that's something that comes with time, but the five on five, the, to give up the consistently, the backdoor pass, that game is a very, very different game if Canada doesn't miss some of those shots. If I think two of the shots rang the post. And, and I thought that was a very interesting and very specific weakness that the U.S. had in an otherwise strong defensive effort. 
Yeah, and I, I still think about Rob Badger back when I first started in the game of hockey working as a broadcaster, sitting on a bus heading to a road game, and he tells me that, you know, hockey's a game of, of rubber and ice, and they don't like to get along. And sometimes the puck bounces the wrong way, and puck luck can absolutely kill you in this game. And that was – that's a puck luck game right there. You know, that's a couple of, couple of inches between two or three shots for Canada – that could have absolutely turned the tide the other way. But you have to give credit to Spencer Knight at a Darien, Connecticut. I mean, Spencer Knight, 34 stops, 34 shots faced. And when you're playing that well as a netminder, you tend to get the puck luck. I am always of the belief. I mean, how many perfect games in a game of baseball do you see where there's ridiculous plays made, right? It's almost like luck isn't a real thing. It's almost like Luck is the idea of putting yourself in the right place in the right time to find success. And then that success finding you, right? It's almost like a, like a karmic ideology there. You, you have the idea of he's playing so well, he's giving the guys so much trouble. And not only does he make 34, 34 stops for the gold medal, but his gold medal shutout victory is his third shutout victory in his career in the world juniors, breaking the U S record. I mean, Spencer Knight for me, you talk about the backdoor game, Lucas. The backdoor game is going to be always an issue in my mind with a team that hasn't been together long. I mean, it's, it's tough. And when you have a team like Canada who's so skilled, they can make passes that you're not going to see every day in your junior schedule and your collegiate schedule when you get all of the top, top, top talent together from Canada, from Russia, from the Czech Republic, from Finland, from Sweden. When you get these guys together in the same room – it's going to be a different level of game, a different level of speed, a different ability to make the pass. And that backdoor game is always going to hurt you if a team can execute it. Canada was trying to execute it in that game, could not. And you add in COVID-19, the quarantine, the craziness of just trying to get out to the bubble and play the game. I mean, to get a shutout against Team Canada in the gold medal game with just a few games under your belt together as a group is awesome. Yeah, I, I think it was great. I mean, they, you know, Canada definitely watched some tape and, and definitely prepared for that game. But I think a lot of the success the U.S. had was the perseverance that they had. I mean, they were they were getting outplayed for a large majority of that game, especially along the near side corner board um, and quite a bit behind the net. The U.S. definitely struggled behind the net in the corner boards with some of the Canadian speed and physicality but they, they kept after it, right? It was, it was players coming in to help. They never gave up on a play. They were always moving the puck forward. They were always trying to get guys headed towards the blue line. And that was what saved them on the defensive end is that persistence, that perseverance, because it allowed them to really open up a facet of the game, which I was super impressed by. I was floored by how good the U.S. played in transition and on the offensive side, especially in the offensive zone. Um, and Dan, I don't know if you want to start off a conversation about the offensive side of things. Uh, but I, I think, I think that's where we got to go next. Cause that was really impressive. Yeah. I mean, you look at the group that this team USA squad put together and I mean, Zegers is the guy that has to be the storyline at the end of all this. Right. I mean, he 27 points in 11 competitions within the world juniors. It, when you have a player playing at that level, it's difficult to lose. And the offensive team USA, what I loved seeing throughout was they responded, right? They responded to poor power play 
play as you started a poor penalty kill play as you started to get later in that tournament. They responded against Team Finland. They responded against Canada. And it was a situation where you're out shooting Canada for most of that game. I mean, there wasn't a team in this tournament that outshot Canada at any point in any game, in any contest. Canada was relentless. They were nonstop. But Team USA's ability to control the puck in the, in the early stages of that game, holding out that top Canadian line for minutes on end, each shift in the early part of that game, it really slowed things down for Canada. And it was the first time where you looked at Team Canada and you went, man, they might lose. I mean, they might drop this game. And what Team Canada was the entire tournament was you couldn't control the puck against them. And once you did, they forced the turnover. They were out on the break and a puck was in the back of the net before you could stop them. And that was literally Team Canada's mantra the entire World Junior Tournament, Lucas. I mean, it was it was domination through and through. Yeah, I mean, they, they you know, they put their foot on the gas and they didn't look back. And, you know, that was one of the things that I think a lot of people had had talked about, that if the U.S. is going to win this game, they had to get after it early. And I think one of the things I noticed right off the bat was that Team USA was playing like they were on the power play when they were five on five in the first, maybe first period. And then they, they brought it back for the third period of play, especially. But they were playing like they were on the power play. They had phenomenal puck movement. They were wheeling that puck around the zone like they had an odd man advantage. And that came down to the guys shifting in the offensive zone correctly, right? Recognizing where Canada was going to be coming from and then moving the puck to where they weren't. They did a great job of collapsing the far side, like the weak side of that offensive zone. Their guys were always in position. Their guys always had the space. They created the space around them. And part of that persistence, I think, even if you're not winning those board battles behind the net in the offensive zone, the persistence draws in more players. And if you go back and watch some of that, some of those games, as the U.S. team is fighting for that puck along the boards, it draws the Canadian players towards the board battle. So it shifts that whole defensive attack that, that Canada has, and it moves every single player. So where the U.S. was having issues on the defensive end, not collapsing across that backdoor pass, Canada was having issues on the defensive end, just knowing where to set up when their plans broke down. The U.S. broke down what Canada wanted to do. They said, no, we're not going to let you run your game plan. And Canada struggled to adapt. And, and the U.S. did a phenomenal job of recognizing that and really just hammering that advantage home in the first two periods of play. Yeah, it was an incredible performance. Congratulations to Team Canada, Team USA, on an, uh, an awesome World Junior Tournament. The, the saddest part of every tournament is someone's got to lose, right? And you look at that team that's got to sit out there on the ice and take the silver medal. Canada was so great with it. I mean, it, you don't see anybody kind of – you didn't see any of the ill will from the Canadian side. And that's something you love to see, Lucas, especially in a sport as volatile as the game of hockey. You don't see each other the whole tournament until the gold medal game, and you go battle to a 2 nothing loss – Canada had every right to come out there and be a bit salty, you know, during a medal ceremony. And each of those guys with grace, the coaching staff, I mean, as well as you could handle a loss in a game that you expected to win in every way. Team USA, congratulations. And we got to congratulate, Lucas, some, some USPHL stars, some former USPHL stars that made their appearances out in the World Juniors. And we start with Sam Colangelo from Team USA. I mean, as Sammy was was awesome. We know there were some other skaters on Team USA that 
played back in their youth days with the Junior Bruins organization. I know, Lucas, you shared that on Facebook, but Sam Colangelo, a really great performance for him out in Worlds. Yeah, uh, great job by him. I really got a kick out of the the Junior Bruins sharing those young pictures of the players. Um, I thought that was really cool um, that they were able to, you know, not just be able to say, hey, these guys came up through our system, but those pictures are always a lot of fun. And Colangelo I, really showed up, I think. He showed up in a in a huge way. I think he he a crucial part. You know, he, he you always heard his name. And that was yep. that's the thing that we always talk about on our broadcast too. When you hear a player's name get mentioned a whole bunch, that means they're out there doing the right things. And and I think Colangelo is a great example of that this tournament. And then you look at Luis Lindner, and this is a defenseman from the Junior Bruins, Lucas, who we covered many a time. And we have talked up Luis Lindner forever, playing for Team Austria. And this is a team that wouldn't have a chance in a world that some of these hockey pundits want us to live in, right? Where we're going to have super North America team, Team USA, Team Canada. So we have multiple opportunities for teams in Canada and the U.S. Then we have Team Russia and Team Europe. You know what I mean? You'd lose these opportunities for everybody in that landscape. You'd lose opportunities if you just cut the thing down to six or eight teams. And Team Austria, Luis Linderman, what a great defenseman, a battler. Cena, uh, Senna Peters with him as well, who we've covered in the past with Team Austria. Congrats to both of them. But Lindner, Lucas, I mean, this is a guy who we, we are well-versed with. Yeah. I mean, you, you have a history. These are, this is a name you recognize and you make an excellent point, Dan. And, and we love getting to see him uh, in this tournament. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to just, to just see that again, you see the development it works, right? You get these players, they play hockey all their lives. They get involved with some, some, some great organizations, some great systems, and then they, they make it onto potentially one of the biggest stages, right? The IIHF tournament, they get to play in this tournament. They get to play against some of the best of the best and really get out there and show the world what they can do. Yeah. And then three more guys that had a, a great chance to showcase themselves at world juniors, Ruben Rafkin defenseman for Finland, Ray Fust, Swiss forward and Arter Taransky, the forward from Slovakia Slovakia and Taransky, man, we've covered in the past. Taransky is, he's a powerhouse. He's a, he's a real opportunity creator. And I just feel like that Slovak team, whether it's World Juniors, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's the, the like anywhere around the world, Team Slovakia is just always so powerful. They're always such a slog to deal with. They're like playing against a bunch of human logs. You know, they just run you over. They just come down the track and it's like the log flumes heading to the net. Well, this is a big team and it's a young team, too. You know, oh, you know, you got a ton of uh, 04s on this team. And it seems like the whole team's above six foot, Dan. I think there's maybe one five ten guy on the squad, but this is a big team. They like to throw their weight around. It's a physical team. Uh, you know, they they really get to play a role where you have to work to get through them. And and it was a lot of fun to watch them compete. And I always have fun watching Team Slovakia. I feel like I don't know why, but I always find myself rooting for Slovakia whenever I see them in in any type of competition, as long as they're not playing the U.S. It's just a team that. I just like the way they play the game. It's just they, they survive. They survive in advance, and it kind of continues with what we talk about. You know, like Slovakia is never going to have the firepower and the weaponry that Russia, Canada, and the U.S. do in their hockey programs. But they compete. They compete. They'll win one once in a while against the big squads, and those wins will always be remembered. And that's the whole point. That's what we're looking for. That inclusion, that game. 
congratulations to the IHF on pulling this event off. The World Juniors champions, United States of America, USA, 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 USA. And with that chant in mind, with that patriotism thrown out there, we go to what I think might be the most patriotic part of the Dan K show. The reminder that education and academics is vital to our hockey playing careers, vital to our hockey playing experience. Lucas Jones, the academic corner, take it away. Well, I think for this academic corner, I want to remind everyone that the road to success is not just long. And it's not just difficult because it's easy to focus on those particular things. But the road to success is very often also rewarding. And it's important that we don't just see our departure and our arrival as the only parts of our academic journey. The journey itself should be rewarded at parts. It should be stopped and examined. So even though you don't know everything about a particular subject yet, even if you're still struggling, the little moments you should remind yourself that you're still succeeding. When you remember your first, when you can remember your first Civil War battle flashcard after you've struggled with it for some time, that's a momentous occasion that should be stopped and rewarded with recognition of, I learned it, I did that, I put in the work and got this thing done. Whether it's a math, a type of math problem that you struggle with and you finally, it clicks in your head. Make sure you stop and smell the roses and reward yourself. Recognize that you've been able to improve. Improvements big and small remind us that it is a journey and not just an end goal that we should be striving for. The journey of education is what started education. You look back at Greek and Roman times in the beginning of the the Socratic style of education. It was never about a degree. It was never about amassing trivial knowledge the journey was the most important part. And I think as students and continual students, we should always recognize that recognition of small parts of the journey helps us get to a final destination. I love that. And I think my parting words this week kind of coincide with what you said there, Lucas. And I start with a quote from the great Teddy Roosevelt, guy who I love, one of my favorite presidents out there, Teddy Roosevelt, nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I've never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. And you look at that, and that ties into the idea of what we're talking about with this, the IIHF World Juniors, with the junior hockey landscape, with creating opportunities for players to compete against players, of all walks, the best of the best, the medium of the road, the learning, the developing, to compete against each other on an even playing field, to learn the game together, to be able to rise up through the ranks by playing the toughest of competition. Do not shield yourself from a loss. Do not just accept the loss, right? We don't wanna sit there and just say, hey, I I took the L today and I'm just gonna keep losing, right? Don't grow a losing mentality. A winning mentality is being able to handle a loss and figure out how to get better. How do we better ourselves, whether it's in the classroom, 
You know, we get a bad grade. We forget to hand in a paper. We forget to write something. We, we, uh, our teacher comes back to us and, and has a million notes on an essay we wrote. We just feel like we got to restart. How do we get better there? On the ice, we go out there, we get trounced. We go out there, we lose some, a game, one nothing. How do we get better from our losses? Not how do we avoid losing. Not how do we get away. How do we rechannel things so I won't have to ever swim upstream? Because guess what? The stream's coming. At some point in our lives, we will all deal with adversity. We will all have to battle, and we will all be outmatched and outmanned by something in front of us. As small as day-to-day -day tasks, as big as the whole world in front of us, we will always be matched with something a bit bigger, a Goliath to our David. And we need to be ready to face those challenges, take them head on, compete. Keep competing, keep battling. I ask you folks here in the USPHL, you players out in the Tampa hub, tweet at us pictures from throughout your hub experience, tweet at us, Instagram message, whatever you want to do, send us with hashtag hub life, hub life, hashtag hub life. Send us your experience in the hub city. Some of the fun times, some of those moments where you get a little homesick, some of those moments where I just saw the aviators reach out to us, Lucas, and they've got 98 million gallons of milk in their refrigerator. That I have so never much seen that much milk, milk in my life. <laughs> That's amazing. I think I saw that picture and I was like, I was like, wow, that's a lot of cereal. I wonder. And then I saw the fridge and I went, oh no. <laughs> There's just, that's a lot of milk. I would almost say too much milk, but as a lactose intolerant milk. man, it said shivers down my spine. Oh, Lucas would not be able to live in that room. I don't think you can even be exposed <laughs> to being around that much milk no. in any one sitting. You just avoid the dairy portion of the grocery store altogether. <laughs> yeah i have to walk around the front of the store otherwise if i get too close to it we have problems oh well reach out to us hashtag hub life make sure to watch the power rankings dan k show power rankings coming at you and keep an eye out for those holiday follow challenge champions can't tell you here we'll tell you later when dan k is on the mic it's always hockey night thank you to elite junior profiles that's elitejrprofiles.com We've also got some cool new sponsors coming into the fray that you'll hear about next episode. And make sure to follow the USPHL, www.usphl.com. The program for the Hub City is available now at usphl.com. At the underscore Dan K Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow along with us there. Hashtag Hub Life for your Hub Life pictures, photos, videos, whatever you got for us. www.dankshow.com. We'll see you in Tampa soon.